Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. In Luke chapter 15, there, there are uh, three stories, three parables Jesus taught, and he's, and he's teaching one truth in these three parables, these three stories in Luke chapter 15. And as I was, um, I flew down here from Seattle yesterday and arrived on uh, yesterday afternoon and, and uh, Brother Kim uh, took me to a hotel and, and dropped me off and, and uh, I had a couple of hours before we were going to meet together again uh, for dinner that night and discuss the things of, this, of what we're doing today and that sort of thing. And so I, I wanted to get out and walk a little bit, get some exercise after having uh, been all day with the flights. And so I, I went out walking yesterday, and as I walked through this area, uh, I was just very, very much moved by the great need here. I went back and I, to the hotel and, I, and I, I, I researched a little bit, and I found out that there are 15.5 million people, according to Wikipedia, that are in this uh, greater Los Angeles area. You are surrounded by millions and millions of people. And as I, as I, saw, the, as I saw the great need walking along the, 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 the streets here and uh, just seeing the people, all the different cultures, the different languages, nationalities, and uh, the great needs, uh, and thinking so many people are lost, I, I really got burdened about this L.A. area and thinking, what's it like to be lost? Do you understand how many, how many people there are lost? And, you know... It's a horrible thing to be lost in a sense of uh, that you, you're, you're out somewhere and you don't know where you are, you don't know how to find, get back. But there's something much worse than being physically lost, and that is to be spiritually lost, to be separated from God, to be in a condition where you're lost. And, uh, and, and the, the only thing worse than being lost is to be lost and no one is looking for you. I was preaching in Connecticut a number of years ago, and um, Sunday afternoon, I preached Sunday morning, and then Sunday afternoon, the pastor named Steve Baker called me on the phone, and he said, uh, he said, Pastor, we have a problem uh, that's, that's arisen. He said, I'm going to come by and pick you up, and I'm going to take you over to a, to a home, one of our church members' homes. He came by and got me, and, and we went over to the home, and what had happened was that their son had walked out into the woods, and he was lost. But uh, he hadn't come back. And they'd looked for him and couldn't find him. And it was a tragic, tragic situation. Now, the son, the son was okay. He ended up uh, being lost and spending the night out in the woods. But they found him the next morning. He was okay. But that night, that night, as, uh, and so Pastor had me go on over and preach at the church and come back there again. Had somebody pick me up. He stayed there with the family. Uh, but but uh, by the time I got back from preaching the evening service in that church there in Connecticut, uh, th- th- there, were, there were people everywhere searching for this young boy. I mean, there were, there were helicopters, there were, the police were out there with dogs, and they were searching everywhere for this boy. But can you imagine if you're lost? Nobody's looking for you. You're lost. And as I walked along the streets of Los Angeles yesterday, I thought, how many of these people are lost? And no one's looking for them. They're lost spiritually. They're on their way to hell, and nobody's looking for them. What's it like to be lost? In Luke chapter 15, Jesus told us what it's like to be lost. He tells these stories with one truth, and that true one truth is what's it li- what it's like to be lost. Uh, would you notice, if you would please, in Luke chapter 15, he uses three illustrations to, to, to illustrate the same truth of what it's like to be lost. He talks about, he talks about a shepherd 
who lost one of his sheep. Then he goes on to talk about a woman who lost a coin. And then he talks about a man who lost his son. Let's look at those very briefly this morning, if we could, please. First of all, what's it like to be spiritually lost, away from God? You're lost. It's like a lost sheep. Notice, if you would please, in Luke chapter 15 and verse 4, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? When he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Verse 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. First of all, to be lost. It's like a sheep. In this story, Jesus told a story about a, about a, a man, a shepherd. And this shepherd had 100 sheep that he was responsible for. And so as he brought those sheep in that at the end of the day, he brought them in from grazing. It's, it's dark. It's, it's coming nightfall. He brings them into the sheepfold, the pen. And as he is counting those sheep, he counts 99. He realizes that he's missing one sheep, one little lost lamb, one lamb. Out of 100 lambs, he's missing just one. But he's missing that one lamb. And so what he does is he gets the, uh, he gets the, peop- the, the other sheep in and he, he, he closes down the, the, the fold there. He locks it up so that they're protected. And the Bible says, Jesus said that he turns around and he goes back out to look for that one lost lamb. He goes out to look for that one lost lamb. As so I thought about that, I thought, why, why, would, why would he do that? Um, immediately he goes out back out into the, into, into the, into the uh, uh, elements to look for that lamb. I mean, I mean, it's already dark. He's come in for the night. He doesn't have a flashlight. Uh, he doesn't have, uh, he doesn't have, he does, he, all he's got is what, a, a lantern of some sort. It's dangerous out there. He, yet he turns around and he leaves the 99 and he risks his own life to go out and look for one lost little lamb. Why not just wait till the next day? Why not wait till the next morning when he can see and when he can find the lamb? Much easier. He goes out at night. Why does he do that? He leaves the 99. Here's why. The reason that he went out was because this shepherd understood the, uh, the precarious condition and position that that lamb was in. Uh, that lamb was out by himself lost. He understood what a dangerous position he had. Here's the reality. That shepherd understood that there was absolutely no hope of survival for that lamb that night. The lamb was going to be dead the next morning. That's all there was to it. The lamb was not going to survive. Either he goes out and rescues him tonight to risk his own life, or tomorrow morning, by the time he finds that lamb, he's just going to find what's left over because the wolves have eaten that lamb. This lamb is in a precarious position. I don't think we really understand what a dangerous position lost people are in. As I walked along the streets of your cities yesterday, I I thought, do, do we really understand that these people that we're, we're, we're rubbing shoulders with, that we see day after day, that we work with, that we're, that we're neighbors with, do we understand the precarious condition that they're in? They're in a position where they're literally one heartbeat away from an eternity in hell. They're lost. The Apostle Paul described what it means uh, to be lost in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. He's talking to the church at Ephesus and he says, now here's what it was like for you before, before you were saved. Ephesians 2.12, at that time, when you were not saved, at that time, you were without Christ, having, listen to this, no hope and without God in the world. 
They were, he said, Paul says, before you were saved, my friend, you had no hope. You were without God. Here's the reality. The, the reality is that unsaved people, are, they have no hope. There's no hope that they're going to get to heaven without Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Before I was saved, I didn't get saved until I was 20 years old. And I'd heard the gospel. I, was, I dropped out of school in Northern California when I was 16, joined the Army at 17, went to Vietnam at 18, spent two tours in Vietnam with the 75th Rangers, came back at the age of 20. And I'd heard the gospel. I'd, had, I'd met people in, in, uh, that, that had talked about, about heaven and hell. I mean, I was, I'm, I'm from America. I was born in America. Who, who in America has not heard there's a heaven and a hell, right? I didn't go to church, but I'd heard about it. Heard it from other people. Witnessed, people who witnessed to me in the army. I'd heard about it. But you know what I always thought? I always thought, well, I'm not sure there is a heaven and a hell. But if there is, um, surely I'm not going to go to hell. There's a good chance I'm not going to go. And, 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 and I've always been fortunate. I, I spent two tours in Vietnam out, out in the field. I, I walked point with a six-man LERP team. I'm out in the jungle walking point. And uh, the first guy to get the bullet, and I never got the bullet. I've always been lucky. I've never stepped on the landmine. The guys behind me have stepped on the landmine. But I've, I've missed the landmine. Other guy loses his leg. I've still got mine. I've, and I, and, and I, would, I would think to myself, well, if there is a hell, I mean, probably I'm, I'm, I'm going to luck out. Let me tell you something. There was no hope. If I died without Jesus, there's no hope, no chance. You may say, well, I'm trying to do the best that I can. I'm living a good life. I'm trying to be, I'm, I think I'm going to make it. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And your neighbors are not going to make it. And these people around the world that have never heard the gospel, there's not this, well, maybe God's going to say, you know, you did the best you can. You never heard about Jesus. You were a Buddhist, but you, you were Hindu, you were Muslim, but you, you were a good person. You did the best you can. I'm going to let you into heaven. It's not happening. That's the philosophies of the world. That's what the devil wants us to think. The Bible says no hope and without God. The shepherd was willing to endure the hardship and danger of the night himself. Why? Because of the importance of finding that one lost sheep. I ask you at this missions conference, at this, this uh, end of the last Sunday of your missions emphasis, what are you willing to give up to help Jesus find lost people before they die and go to hell? Jesus said, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. What would you be willing to do to help him? Would you be willing to give? Would you be willing to sacrifice some money? Would you be willing to sacrifice some time to help uh, with, with the soul winning pro uh, program of your church? Would you be willing to go yourself? Would you be willing to leave the comforts in, uh, of America and go to a foreign land to help people, help Jesus reach people the gospel? What would you be willing to do? You realize this morning that approximately 86% of Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus have never met a Christian. They don't even know what they look like. They've never seen one. They're lost. These people are lost. Nobody's searching for them. Nobody's looking for them. We're talking about more than 2 billion people who are lost, and no one is looking for them. The vast majority of them, of those people, live in that portion of the world we call the 1040 window. How can we not give our lives to go into the wilderness and search for them? How can we not go to our co-workers here in the Los Angeles area? How can we not go to our own cities, our own people, our own family? How can we not try to get the gospel to those that are lost? What's it like to be lost? It's horrible. To be lost is a very dangerous position to be in. If you're here this morning without Jesus, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm trying to help you. You're lost. 
You say, well, I'm, I'm a church member. Do, do you have Jesus Christ? Have you been born again? Jesus said you must be born again. And by the way, Jesus said that to a religious man. Jesus said that to a, what we would call a church member, a church leader. He was a ruler of the synagogue. Nicodemus was a very religious person. And Jesus looked him right in the eye and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well, I'm a, I'm a ruler. I'm religious. I know, I read the Bible. Nicodemus, you have to be born again. When were you born again? Was there a time and a place in your life, my friend, when you realize you're a sinner, you're lost, you're on your way to hell, and you came to Jesus, and you, you don't have to remember the day, but, you, but if, you've, if you're saved, you were there when you got saved, you should know that you are. Do you know for sure you're saved? You came to Christ, and you, and you repented of your sins, and you said, God, I cannot forgive my own sins. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Please come into my life, come into my heart, and save me. Forgive me of my sins. That's repentance. Repentance means a change of mind. It means we're going this direction. I'm saying, hey, I'm going to do the best I can. I think I'm going to be lucky. I think I'm going to be okay. I think, I think I'm going to be all right. I think I can do this. I think I can be a, live a good life and everybody's going to be okay. And boom, all of a sudden you say, you know what? I cannot. I cannot. I'm a sinner. And you turn and you say, God, I'm not going my direction anymore. I'm going to go your way. But Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. Please come into my heart and forgive me. And he does. That happened for me at the age of 20 in the, in, in, the, in the Landmark Missionary Baptist Church in Watsonville, California, Wednesday night. I walked down the aisle, knelt at the altar, and said, Dear God, I'm tired of going my own direction. Please, please forgive me of my sins. You know, that was, I was 20 years old. That was 51 years ago. I'm 71 now. You know what happened that night? God forgave my sins and made me a new creature. You know what my old army buddy said? They said, oh, hey, did you hear that Dwight got religion? No. Dwight had religion before Dwight got saved. Now Dwight got saved. He got Jesus. He didn't get religion. They said, Dwight got religion. What? Dwight got religion? Yeah. Hey, God. Here's what they said. We'll give him six months. In six months, he'll be back. He'll be running with the crowd. He'll be drinking again. He'll be, he'll be doing all the things he was doing before. Six months. Now, I told you I'm a high school dropout. I'm not real good at math. But. 51 years ago, if you take six months, they said it'll last. I think that would be like 102 times that six months has, has come by. I mean, you know what they're thinking right now? They're thinking, Dwight's not coming back, is he? <laughs> and I'm telling them, you know, guys, I'm really not. <laughs> it was the real deal. <laughs> you don't need religion, you need Jesus. What's it like to be lost? It's like being out there in the wilderness. Nobody's looking for you. You're going to die out there. Number two, Jesus said, what's it like to be lost? It's like a lost coin. Look, if you would, please, at verse 8. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, she lose one piece, does not light a candle, sweep the house, seek diligence until she find it. When she's found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, and she says, rejoice with me, I found the piece that, that, which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you that joy shall be in, in, in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Now, this coin was lost. This was not just, just, just an, an ordinary coin. This was a very valuable coin. The coin was lost to the use for which it was created. You understand that a coin only has value if you can use it for what it was created for. And this particular coin was not an ordinary coin. 
they say that the, the, the Bible scholars say that this coin was a coin that would be used to make up a part of the, of the woman's uh, bridal, the, lady, the, the, the lady's bridal dress. It was part of her, her headdress. And so there would be 10 coins in that, in, that, in that bridal headdress. And one of them she had lost. So now she's trying to put this, she's getting ready for, for, her, for her wedding ceremony. And you've got 10 coins in this bridal headdress. And one of them is gone. One of them's missing. It's going to be a very horrible situation for her. She's desperately looking for that coin. Why? Because this coin was... Was, was, was part of her, of her wedding dress. She couldn't, she couldn't walk out there in that wedding without it there. Now, the illustration here, I think, is that, that if a person is lost, they are not fulfilling that which we, they were created to do. For example, if you're here today without Jesus, you understand you were created by God. You're not an accident. God created you. He formed you. He made you. And he brought you into this world because he has a purpose for your life. Uh, Christians are the bride of Christ. God wants his bride to be made of people from every nation under heaven. Not only just from America. God wants his bride to come from everywhere. Look if you would please at Revelation chapter 7. If you open, just, just slip over there for a moment. Open your Bible to Revelation chapter 7 real quickly. Let me show you a verse. In Revelation chapter 7, verse, the, the Bible talks about, uh, about the, uh, uh, the coming of, of, of the bridegroom and, and the coming of the, the, the bride of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb and we're presented before Jesus. And when we get to heaven, who's going to be there? Look at Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number. Would you underline this? All nations, all kindreds. The word kindred there means tribes. All the different ethnic groups. All the nations, all the ethnic groups, all people, all tongues, that means languages. All these different ethnic tribes, ethnic, different groups from all over the world. They're all there. And they're before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And they're crying with a loud voice. And they're saying, salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne. These, God, wants, God wants His bride to be made up of people from all over the world. Not just America. Not just here. That's why we have the missions conference. That's why this emphasis, emphasis has gone on this week, because, or this month, because we want to see people saved from around the world. Why? Those people were created. It, the, 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 the motivation to me is not just that they're lost and on their way to hell. That's, that's, that's huge. That's huge to me. The reason I left my church at Liberty in, 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 six years ago, resigned the church that I've been at for 25 years, and moved over to Asia moved to China and, and started ministering in those different countries. But big thing is because they're lost on their way to hell. But there's another reason. It's not just that they're on their way to hell. It's, the, it's that they're not, create, they're not doing what God created them for. We were created to glorify Him. We're like that coin that had a special place in God's plan, in this lady's plan, and now it's not being fulfilled. It's not doing what it was created for. Do you understand that the animist... The animist, all over ten, the 1040 window. The animist that worships spirits in the rocks and the trees. You go into Laos and into Thailand and into Cambodia, and, and you go into different Southeast Asian countries, and you'll find people, they, they worship the rocks, the trees. They, they believe that God is everywhere. India, 
They, they, they were created to glorify God. The Hindu that worships millions and millions of gods, 350 million different gods there in the, in the Hindu religion. They were created to worship the one true God. The Muslim that believes his only way to go to heaven is to do enough good works to somehow appease the false god of Allah. They were created to worship the true God that loves them. The Buddhist who hopes to be reincarnated over and over again until finally reaching nirvana and just becoming nothing. That Buddhist person, millions and millions of them, they were created to know the one true God. The communist atheist of China, the infidel who worships money, they were all created to worship and glorify the one true God. And they're not. Why? They don't know him. For millions and millions of them, it's not just that they have rejected the true God, it's they don't know he exists. They've never heard of him. They don't know who he is. Why do we have this missions emphasis? Because we want to try to help get the gospel to those people. My friend, God did not save you just to live selfishly, concerned only about yourself, your family, your finances, your comfort. You were created for a purpose. Why did God place you here? Why does God continue to bless you financially? My, my wife and I have been married this coming January 29th will be our 50th anniversary. 50, 50 years we've been married. When we got married 50 years ago, <laughs> you cannot believe, you can't imagine how dirt poor we were. But some of you probably can't imagine because you, you, you can imagine because you were too. No, nobody can afford to, to get married, right? We always lie to each other about it. You know, we say things like, well, two can live cheaper than one. What are you, an idiot? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you ever heard of math? I mean, I'm a high school dropout, and I, you know, two, it costs more for two people to eat than it does for one person to eat. It's just, it's just simple facts, right? But, but we say, oh, yeah, we, hey, that's okay, we can, we can do it. We couldn't afford to get married, but we did. I mean, we, why? Because we wanted to. <laughs> and we got married, and then we were just flat broke. I'm, I kid you not, my wife would pick up back. I don't know if they still do this or not. We don't have to pick up uh, cans. We, we actually throw cans away now. <laughs> you know? We actually throw the cans. We, we recycle them because we want to feel better about ourselves. You know? but, but, but we actually throw the cans away now. We didn't used to throw them away. When we got married, my wife would see them on the street. She'd pick them up. She'd take them down. She'd trade them in for a few pennies and stuff. And we used, we'd use that for, to buy groceries. We, uh, we, were, we, were so, we were so broke. Time went by. We got to the point where we could actually go to the grocery store and she would take a little calculator and she'd, she'd figure it up. And if we, we, we didn't have enough, we'd take enough money, we'd take it out, lay it aside, you know, something aside because we, could, we couldn't buy it. Then we got to the point where we could, we could actually go to the store and not take the calculator anymore. That's when they invented credit cards. And <laughs> <laughs> we... And we, we could just put it on the card, you know, and we could actually figure out how to, how to pay the credit card. Time went by. God blessed more and more and more. We'd, we bought our clothes at the Goodwill and, 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 and that sort of thing. Time went by. We could actually go to JCPenney's, you know, buy them there before they went out of business. And, and we, could, we, could, we could actually go to the store and buy stuff. Our first child, we couldn't afford milk for a bottle. We couldn't. We'd, we'd give her tea. We'd give her. We'd, we'd make tea and give her tea. And she, and the poor little thing, Angie, 
our oldest daughter. And uh, she's the principal of a, of a charter school now. And, but anyway, Angie would say, she'd hold her body up and say, tee, tee, tee. Say, shh, shh, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want the church members to know we, we, that you don't get milk. <laughs> tee. And, her, and maybe that's why her teeth are messed up now. I don't know. But, uh, but time went by. We could actually buy powdered milk. We bought powdered milk for her. And we mixed that stuff with water. We could give her milk. Then after a while, we could actually give her milk. I mean, we could, we, could, we could actually have milk in our house. And then after a while, we could actually have a house. We were able to buy one. And, and then and a car. And then, then two cars. And then I added a motorcycle. I had two cars and a motorcycle. And, and then someday, you know, one, at one point, you know, I talked to my wife and I said, Honey, God's been awfully good to us through the years. But does God really want, now, now, now I want you to ask yourself this question. And that's your story too, many of you. God has blessed you financially and in many ways. Has God really blessed you financially through these years so that your standard of living could continue to increase? Or maybe, maybe, you ask yourself this. Maybe is it not your standard of living that God wants to go up? but he wants to increase your standard of giving. Maybe he wants you to give more. You understand that God will give to you what he wants to give through you? I, I, Gail and I are at the point now where we just say, God, if you give us something, I, I really believe it's because you want us to give it to somebody else. We don't need it. We just don't need it. We don't. Want it? Sure, you stuff you want, right? God's promised to, to, to meet your needs, not your greeds. And, but at this point in our life, we just feel like, God, if you, you, you've, been, you've been good to me. I've got everything I need. So if you give me something extra, who do you want me to give it to? Where do you want it to go? Um, I think God wants you, perhaps for us to get serious about sending these missionaries out, sending those church planters out, helping people get the gospel around the world. Time is short. There are people out there that, were, that, that they're not saved. They're not, they're not doing what they were created to do. They're worshiping false gods. That means our God, our true God, is not getting the glory. What's it like to be lost? If you're here today and you're lost, you're in a very dangerous position. You are literally one heartbeat. You, cl you close your eyes in death and you open your eyes in hell. It's that simple. If you're not saved today, you're not doing what you were created for. You weren't created just for the rat race. You were created to glorify our God, to find out what he wants from your life. Number three, this is perhaps the most saddest and tragic of all. What's it like to be lost? Jesus then told a story of a boy. And that, that boy was lost to his relationship with his father. You know the story, the prodigal son. Here's a man, he has two sons. Hardworking man, good man. That man is a type of God the Father. And one of those two boys, the youngest one, comes to him and says, Dad, I don't wanna, I don't wanna, I don't wanna be with you anymore. I don't wanna live here. I don't wanna follow the rules. Give me my inheritance money. I'm gonna go do my own thing. The father was heartbroken, but he let the boy go. He gave him his money inheritance and the boy left and the Bible says that this boy went out and man he had a great time for a while he, he had plenty of money 
He had all kinds of friends as long as he had money. He was able to spend that money and to buy friends. He was able to party his life away. But after a while, the money was gone. And when the money was gone, the Bible goes on to say that this is what happened. This man, this son, ended up flat broke. He turned to his friends, and his friends totally rejected him. By the way, that happened to me. That happened to me. Uh, I don't have time to tell you the stories, but I could tell you stories of where, one story where we were in an automobile accident. I was racing, uh, racing <clears throat> with, my, with some buddies of mine. We'd all been out drinking. And we're racing down, down, down a street, and uh, I wrecked my car. Car rolled over. Um, I was left in the car. I was knocked out, unconscious. And the police report later, as, as people who saw it, uh, gave a report of what happened. They said that there were two guys in the back seat, and they got out of the car. The car that I was racing with was another friend. He was ahead of me. He stopped. He backed up. The two guys were with me. They got out of the car, went and got in the other car, and they took off. They just left me there to die. They didn't care. They just wanted out. They, I mean, hey, good time's over. Cops are coming. We're out of here. You know, tough, tough. That's his problem. And that's the attitude these guys had after this boy spent all his money. The Bible says that when his money was all gone, no, no, man, no, no one gave him anything. Um, he was so hungry when he spent it all, verse 14, and there arose a famine. And so he goes to his friends, and they, they gave him nothing. So this boy, this Jewish boy, was so hungry, so devastated, and so homeless and broke, that he got a job feeding pigs. I mean, the most, the most degrading job that a Jewish boy could have. He's feeding the pigs. And the Bible says that he was so hungry, in verse 16, that he was tempted to eat the pig food. And then that boy took the most, journey, the most important journey that anybody ever takes in their life. It's found in verse 17. That boy went somewhere. That's the most important place you're ever going to go in your life. Verse 17 says, when he came to himself. He came to himself. When you finally look at yourself and realize, I'm a fake, I'm a phony, I'm a mess, I'm a sinner, I'm not nearly as good as I think I am, I need help. That boy came to himself and realized, I've, I've made a mess of my life. That's where I had to come. It was shortly after that car wreck that I got saved. When I finally came to myself and realized I'm, I'm going a direction that is going to lead nowhere but to destruction. I need to turn around. He came to himself and he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? And then here's where he went the second time. When you come to yourself, then you come to verse 18. I will arise and go to my father. When you realize that you cannot forgive your own sins, you cannot save yourself, you cannot straighten out your, the mess you've made of your life, and you turn around and say, I'm going to go to my Father. I'm going to go to God. I'm going to go to the one who can help me. He arose, verse 20 says, He arose and came to his Father. 
What happened when his father saw him coming? The father saw him, you know the story. Now, I, I think that father had probably been going out, had gone out there every day and looked for his son. And every day he came back disappointed because his, his son did not come home. Father was heartbroken. He'd been searching for it, looking for his son, wanted his son to come back. And every day he went to bed that night, no son. But one day he goes out and he's looking down the, the, the road and he sees the dust moving of somebody walking. And all of a sudden he sees this ragged young guy who's lost all this weight. That guy didn't even have shoes. He's barefoot. He sold his shoes, lost his shoes, whatever. He's walking barefoot up the, up the road. His, his clothing is rags. And his father sees him and realizes that that guy walks like my son. And he's looking at him closer and closer as he gets closer, and he realizes that is my son. And the father, the old man, which, which, Jewish, which was again for an older Jewish person, this was, was not what they would do. He runs down, he, 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 he embarrasses himself, what would be embarrassing to a, to a Jewish, older Jewish gentleman. He goes running down the road, down that dusty road. And he throws his arms around his son. He can smell the, the sweat, the pig slime, the stump, the junk from the, where this boy's come from. And he throws his arms around that boy. And the boy starts, starts, his, starts to say, Father, uh, I'm, no, I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. Would you please let me just you give me a job as a hired hand? And, and he says, don't, I, he says Father, I don't, I don't want to hear that. You're my son. I love you. And he brings the son back and he says to the servants, he says, get, get him some shoes, get him some clothes, get him a robe, get some shoes on his feet, make a, make a big party, make, we're going to have a party. My son, which was lost, is found again. He's back. And that boy was reunited with the fellowship of his father. How many millions and millions, billions of people really are there on this planet today they don't have fellowship with their father. They're just going through life. They're going to die and go to hell. In this parable, Jesus is the good shepherd who leaves the 90 and 9. He left heaven and he came back, came here to, to search, seek, search for us. The church is the woman. The woman who searches diligently to find that coin to bring it back, to bring back those that are lost. God is the father who rejoices when even one who is lost comes back to repentance to find safety in the fold. There are billions of people today in this world, and there are millions of people in this area, this L.A. area, they are lost. So I, I want to close. I want to ask you two questions. Number one, what are you willing to sacrifice to help search for those souls for whom Jesus gave everything? Would you sacrifice some money? Over and above your tithe, would you fill out that card to, 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 to designate that for missions? Would you be willing to go to your neighbor, to go to your family? Would you be willing to, to ask, if you'll just ask God to give you somebody to talk to about Jesus, I promise you he'll give you somebody. He'll give you the opportunities. Question number one, what would you be willing to do to help those that are lost? Question number two, are you the one that's lost? Are you that lost sheep? Are you that lost coin? 
Are you that lost son? You don't have fellowship with your father. You're not fulfilling the purpose for which you were created. And you are in a very precarious position. Is that you today? Would you be willing to step out today and come to Jesus and say, Lord, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't want to be that lost sheep anymore. I don't want to be that lost coin. I don't want to be that lost son. Would you forgive me of my sins? I believe Jesus died for me. Please come into my heart. Make me your child. You know what he promised in John chapter 7? He promised this. Any man that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Jesus said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Years ago, when I was uh, pastoring uh, my first church in Redwood City, California, there was a couple that came to the church and they visited and, and then I followed up on them was witnessing to them there in their home, and, uh, and I went through the gospel and told them about, about how to be saved, you know. And then the husband, he, he prayed and he trusted Christ as his Savior. And then here's what the wife said to me, though. Donnie was her name, Donnie Petrican, Bob and Donnie Petrican, precious couple. They became very, very solid members of our church there in Redwood City, up in the Bay Area. And Donnie looked at me and she said, oh, she said, I, I, I tried that. It didn't take. I said, I said, what do you mean? She said, oh, I, I prayed one before. It, it didn't take. I, I, asked, I asked God to forgive my sins. It, it didn't take. And I showed her that verse in John 7, and I said, Donnie, it always takes. It always works. It always takes. If you prayed and asked Jesus to come to your heart and save you, and he didn't, I guarantee you the problem, it's not, the issue is not on his side. There's something that you didn't, you didn't really mean it. You didn't understand it. You, weren't, you were just going through the motions. You didn't understand you were a sinner on your way to hell. There was something it always takes. And I say to you today, if you come to Jesus this morning, you say, will it work? Oh, yeah, it'll work. It'll work. And your friends might say, well, you know, she'll be back. He'll be back. And then 51 years later, you'll be saying, I never did go back. And I never intend to, because it always takes. <laughs> it's real. Salvation is real.